you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. So how are you? I'm doing fine, as a matter of fact. You know, I uh, it's kind of fun. You know, uh, I really am not minding all the COVID shutdown because it's really having me focus on things that have needed to get done for a long time, like going to the vaults, like decluttering the house, like um, going through my email clients and uh, creating new rules for things that um, it's kind of funny. People, places just don't seem to standardize on how to send you an email. They have all kinds of different email addresses. And if you do that on the back basis or on the basis of subject or whatever, it's amazing how many rules I have to have in place that just capture all the things from a mailing list or all the things from um, uh, a bank or something like that. And, and if you don't update your rules regularly, all that accumulates. So part of my um, end of year, start of new year is always, okay, I want this to be filed away where if I want to see everything from Amazon, I'll find it all in one place instead of having to like go looking through my inbox and try to remember pseudo chronologically, when did this happen? And, And so anyway, and then you find out, that occasionally you wrote a rule that was too aggressive and you were in a a folder that you put things into and it's like, what's all this other stuff doing here? Oh, because, you know, and it's got, it's all character strings and all you have to do is just do one weird typo or something like that. And anyway, it's petty, but not if you run your life. So I don't run my life off of email like I might once have. Nowadays, a lot of it seems to be, instant messaging, texting, Facebook, all that kind of stuff. But a lot of important stuff like when's the bill due and official notices and stuff, it all comes via email as opposed to physical mail. And you don't want to miss those things. You know? First so. of all, it is kind of crazy to think that we get official notifications and bills through email because 15 to 20 years ago, it was like, oh my God, you can't send bills in email. That's just not, not safe. It's not, it's unheard of. And Hey, that saves us a lot of money. It's a lot quicker. And people, you know, it's just, I've been noticing a lot. We have a lot of preconceived notions we live with that it takes some work sometimes to break. Um, A great example, uh, my mother, she's 70. Mm -hmm. Uh, She has in the hall a little light that is a nightlight, essentially. Okay. Like an old, old Christmas bulb. And she has it taped up to the wall. (laughs) Okay. So we were decorating and I put up some modern Christmas lights, LEDs, and they're way brighter. And so I unplugged that old light and said, screw it, just use this for a nightlight. Well, she consistently unplugs the Christmas lights and plugs that other one in. And I'm like, why are you doing that? She's like, well, Christmas lights are dangerous. No, what you have, it's, it's, so her notion is in the sixties and seventies with the bulbs and stuff, they were dangerous. But the stuff now is way safer than what she has. But she just has that in her head that you unplug Christmas lights because they're dangerous. I hear you. You know, that's really true. I mean, and 
not only in her 70-year life, but in my lifetime, we've seen that, that LEDs are more efficient and cooler running. And it used to be like when you were putting lights on the tree, you had to have gloves on because they got so hot that you couldn't handle them well. And nowadays, all that's become easier. And they did it where, you know, it's um, no-fail strings. It wasn't one bulb would take out the entire string. Now they're all individually. And whatever the cost of that was, a penny per bulb or something like that, I'm more than willing to pay the extra dollar alan wait you died oh i'm here still here there you are sorry sorry you died you were saying uh the cost of penny yeah you know just for for many things the cost of that convenience whatever companies refuse to do it for a long time because oh no then we'll be at a competitive disadvantage because our light strings will cost 7.99 instead of 6.99 there's all kinds of people like me that are willing to do the 7.99 in order to not have to play the search out the yeah. bad bulb game ever again you know how is my time not worth my time's worth 150 bucks an hour not a dollar <laughs> you know what i mean so well, i've had that argument with my father through the years so long he had like a garbage bag of lights whenever a string of lights would go bad he would take every light out and put it in this garbage bag cuz then if something else went out he would fix he would replace every individual bob till he found the burnt out one wow. to fix the whole string and i'm looking at it and the leds are way cheaper i mean i go into the store even before Christmas, I could buy a string of 50 for like three or four bucks. You know, after Christmas, I get them for 75 cents. You know, hey, give me like, you know, $50. Exactly. A whole hedge worth. You know what I yeah. mean? That's, yeah. uh, you know, so believe me, when we were putting stuff up as he got older and I was doing more of it, uh, and I would like plug something in, I'm like, oh, well, this is an old set that's dead. And I'd throw it away. He's like, what are you doing? That's money. Blah, blah. I'm like, dad, it was like, you know, it's 30 years old. You've gotten your money's worth. It's not worth the time to fix this. Exactly. He'd feel like, no, and he'd pull it out of the garbage and he'd sit there, you know, for the next seven days going through this string. And I'm like, oh, whatever. Yeah. I've, I did that once when, when um, new lights, like those were the first time we had them and um, a number of things had gone out. And so it was like a matter of aesthetics. I don't want to have to worry about wrapping the lights around our Christmas tree where I have to worry about a dark spot that if I know that everything is lighting up or whatever my threshold of pain is, 90%, 95%, whatever else it might be. And because they come with extra bulbs, it was like, well, let's just see how easy it is to unscrew these, and et cetera, et cetera. But after seeing the amount of time that that took, I guess that's become another one of those things that you don't troubleshoot anymore. You just throw it away and buy a new string and really eight bucks, you know what I mean? Or whatever they are. It's, it's definitely not quotes worth my time anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Having said that, this is, there's a store in Lakewood. Maybe it's actually into Cleveland, just over the border. That's called um, anything that can be fixed. And it really is one of these guys, you know, some people just have that wonderful tinker's instinct as to well, what's probably wrong here. This became slightly askew, unscrewed, whatever else it might be. And so you can bring, I guess, like an old lamp. And of course, it would be easier to buy a new lamp, but sometimes that lamp fits that corner exactly right. It's exactly the, you have, you have history with it, if you will. And so for some things it's worth doing that. And I don't know that I want to do it, but I'm willing to pay him 10 or 20 bucks to say, please keep my rusty, dusty old lamp still working and whatever else it might be. I don't know whether he can fix anything. I kind of think he can, but there's any number of things that it's not only a matter of trying to preserve it. Sometimes it's wow, I want all the new features. I want it that it has a three-prong plug instead of two. I want it to be that it's not harsh incandescent. But you know what I mean? There's a reason to upgrade that's not just based on saving money. 
they're materially better <laughs> for all yeah. kinds of appliances or whatever else it might be. So, yeah. and I, I remember the first time, uh, because like you, when I first got my car, you had to learn how to crawl under it, unscrew the oil pan, let it drain, screw it back in. And you better screw it back in because, man, if you put more quarts of oil in and then it's leaking out of the car, you don't forget that more than once. Absolutely. And, <laughs> I spend an hour getting filthy, dirty, trying to get the grease and grime off my hands. And I'm Break like, the pumice, the, whatever, the lava, the pumice soap. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I still have some. And the first time I was like, I believe it was Walmart, just when some of the oil places were starting to spring up. And I'm like, what, $20 or 16 actually? They'll change my oil. They'll change my oil for sixteen. Sixteen dollars? That's nothing. I can Wow, sixteen dollars. I'm like in my head. I'm like, God, I'd pay somebody like a thousand dollars to do this, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, do it right now. I'm gonna go grab grab some groceries and I'll be back. And I came home and said, I got my oil change. And he's like, Well, how'd you do that? You were out. You know the the uh, driveways here. And I'm like, No, I took it to Walmart. They did it. He's like, No, you. That's a waste of money. Blah blah. And I'm like, Well, you know what? You drive to the store, buy four quarts of oil, drive home, spend an hour under there, and then they're half hour cleaning. Why is that a waste? $16, you know? Exactly. Right. Honestly, that I've always thought that's one of my favorite, if you will, business models. Like, I don't know, doing software development, doing oil changing, whatever. You find the thing that's a pain point for a lot of people. Yeah, and exactly. by you having the right equipment, you know, they've got the lift that lifts your car. There's no crawling under and getting gravel in your back anymore. They take a minute to lift it up. They're they're working safely, smartly. They've got all the knowledge of how the different oil pans are in every single car or whatever they need to do. And by concentrating that expertise and those capabilities in one place, and they can still do it for 16 bucks. Like you were saying, I wonder when they first started up, they must have said, so could we charge a hundred for this? There's yeah. so many people that never want to do this again that we could, and maybe it did start at a hundred and then they came down as they saw now there's I, a competition think or whatever, you know, so. Walmart definitely goes for the bottom lowest, you know, all we're doing is changing your oil and hopefully we'll put the oil cap back on. <laughs> exactly. I go to Publix now and it's 10 minutes. We drive in, they they check the air, they pump up the tires if needed, they fix one of my lights the one time, they changed a windshield wiper, changed the oil, and it's out in 10 minutes, $60 for all of it. Like, why wouldn't I do it? There's one within like two minutes of my house that's like that. They're not even like Jiffy Lube where it's 10 bucks, 15 bucks. I think it's like six. I think that's even, I'm trying to think what the name of it is, but it's like, of course, the way that they've made their business model work is, hey, as long as we have your car here, can we sell you a new headlight, a new windshield wiper, whatever else it might be? And in a lot of cases, it's like, as long as that price doesn't seem too gougy, it's like, you know, I was thinking of doing that. I was going to buy them at Costco where you have to go through the book of what your make and model is and get the, because they're not all equal right. wipers. You know what I mean? And yeah. So it, it's, I love that they've found a way to make that convenient. You know, every time when I'm coding, one of the things I'm always thinking of is it's not a one shot. It's I'm going to have this system and how do I make it so that it's easily maintainable and that I could show it to somebody else. And so you're always thinking of how to make something that will take, you might have to go through a certain amount of pain to get it just right, but then you never have to experience right, that right. pain again. And yeah. it's writing that subroutine, it's worth that, doing that. You that's know? those modern ways of programming. Just give me a good go-to and I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, though, the thing about fixing stuff versus uh, replacing it, some things are actually harder, like furniture. Uh, you have to get some really high-end furniture nowadays to make it even fixable because a lot of the 
lower end stuff that you get, they really can't do anything with it. The way it's built, the way it's put together, they can't take it apart and put new coverings on it. And they can't re-put this together because it just falls apart. It's not designed for that. And and the problem, you're cracking a bit. Are you bumping your microphone? If I am, I'm sorry. I'll Uh, step back a bit. Okay. It just sounds like it. Anyway, but then the, the mindset then goes away from that. For example, the youngest, uh, he was like nine and our door to the outside in this fall and winter, it swells a little bit. So it will stick. You know, you sometimes have to push it to get it open. Hey, it's an old house. That's what happens. Yeah. You know where, and he does that and he's like, the door's not opening. It's stuck. I'm like, Oh, it's just swollen. The weather just push it a little harder. It'll be fine. And he goes, well, we should replace that and get a new one. It's a perfectly fine door. You know, the mentality then becomes, well, you know, there's a scratch on it. Throw it out. <laughs> so it, it, Exactly. I don't know. Is that an extension of cancel culture or one, youth, yeah. you know, type stuff and everything? Right. Like that. It's, we have, I guess, the same thing. You know, we have an old house. We have a century home and everything that it, we have not only the swelling, but everything isn't quite two. You know what I mean? It's not perfectly 90 degree angle, bop, do the plumb bob type thing. Right. And so when you can see that it's got more of a gap tiny tiny difference at the top versus the bottom it's like even if i got a new door i i have to like what fix the whole house in order to get this doorway to be true you know what i mean so you it's and having said that there's any number of things that colleen and i have like lived with had a workaround for for a long time and once in a while when you finally fix something it's embarrassing to say, did I really, for three years, twiddle the knob instead of just getting a new knob, right. just getting a new washer, just getting a new thing? It's amazing how once the the workaround, the normal way of doing things, you just kind of like let it go. And right. I'm embarrassed by, wow, that was, and especially when you do it, it's not a day's work. It's like 20 minutes work. I finally went over and thingamabob and put it in, and now we got so right. I'm not sure what the sweet spot is between <laughs> fixing things, living with things. I like being, but I still have, I'm really bold when it comes to um, electronics, computer things, maybe electricity, <laughs> but I'm still spooked by plumbing. You know, in my really? mind, what I have is you turn the thing on and, you know, everything. <laughs> and so I defer to when something goes funny with plumbing. Sometimes I take like the easiest shot at it. If that doesn't work, I'm happy to call someone who isn't in the next They like take on the liability. You know what I mean? I don't have to right. worry about I fucked my house. <laughs> I right. Right. Well, it, it, you, you talk about your house. Uh, our house would probably drive you absolutely crazy. Uh, it, the original part of the house was built during the Civil War. So wow. uh, that tells you something. But it's been added on to three different times by three different uh, sets of people. Okay. So we have some of our house, like when we put the new bathroom in, we're remodeling it, put the cabinets in and you got the cabinets like this. Then you got the wall like this. Wow. <laughs> so because wow. okay. we, we leveled it, uh, our one room is like a fun house room. If you're a little off balance, you'll fall into the wall because it tilts. It uh, and, skew, exactly. Oh yeah. The fish tank, you can see the fish tank and it's like, what is wrong with the fish tank? And we're like, Oh my God, that's the room. So there's like issues. Ernie Kovacs video. You know, yes. you know, you know what he, I, I love his stuff 
and he was one of the first to experiment with, you know, TV is not reality. I can make, I can have a whole set built that is indeed at that angle and I'll put something down on the table and the salt shaker slides or the, you know, and, and yeah. it was when you were looking at it, it looked all okay until he betrayed all the ways in which it's the right. mystery spot. Oh, there's yeah, magnetism, there, you know, no. <laughs> right. There's a, there's a small amusement park or something over in PA that has a house like that, that you can walk through and you turn the corner and it's like, well, I'm going up and you're walking. You're going, wait, I I, I should be falling. And it's really disconcerting to walk. Exactly. They're, and, and they're so smart though. They've been able to, to manipulate perspective so that what your eyes are seeing is not reality, but you right. have to do what your brain is telling you. And so right. I love that. I, I was trying to figure out how to use perspective as a superpower for a superhero that he could treat what he looks at as if it's 2d so someone's like a mile away but he can see them he can just grab the little dot and throw them in a bucket of water and it drowns somebody because they're really an inch high you know i was trying to figure that out that's interesting I, it's kind of funny all the ways in which um you break the rules of physics if you will like the game portal is so much like that and if you can get your mind around i really can create an opening here to there and i can kind of like reach in and out and affect things far away have we talked about this i think that that's one of the intoxicating things about that ability to expand your senses or what you can influence it really explains something interesting in human nature like if you're a peeping tom it's not only because hey sexy it's because you really get to see things that other people can't you get that advantage of i can see further than most people would be able to or right. would even consider and when i i've only been uh shooting a couple times in my life and actually i was pretty good at it i guess i have good eye hand coordination and i'm relatively steady but the cool thing about it was wow plink i can move that thing 50 yards down range, 30, 20, 30, 50. I was experimenting with how much. And there's an intoxicating thing too. I can affect something not just within my reach, right. not just within my throwing reach. I have this ability to propel myself. You know what I mean? Well, it's really, that, I can see why it's cool. <laughs> that's the uh, developer coder mindset. You know, I'm creating something from nothing to do this job or this function. And, yeah. you know, look, I made this and look what it does. Like you said, with your uh, Russian um, stock exchange or whatever, you know, it, it didn't exist. I created it. It does it now. You know what? That it's the Legos for adults and stuff. It really is. And in fact, that's, I've always loved that. You know, we creating an order out of chaos. You know what I mean? When you look at a system and there's so many things that can go wrong and you actually manage to wrangle it, that it, it's not only does it work, but does it work no matter what? It's kind of like, you know, like they always talk about, well, the first 50 part of the project takes 50% and then the other 50 part takes the other 90%. Right. Making something bulletproof is a whole different skill, a whole different outlook than just getting something to run once. You know what I mean? So it's cool to be able to shift your mindset, shift your hat and get to now that I've seen how it works, how do I prevent all the things that could go wrong? User input, uh, telecom interference, whatever else it might be. It's it's kind of cool. That's that. And if you're a hacker of any kind, that's what you're thinking is, what are all the things that people didn't account for? You know what I mean? How do I get in? Because they didn't do the rigorous. And so I mean, that, that could lead into a little bit of it's, you know. There's all kinds of politics in the news, and we yeah. don't. I don't think we're a political podcast, but I can't help but take some wonderful satisfaction in, you know, there's bad guys with guns. They're trying to assert their will with because they have a gun. But you know what the good guys have is, um, 99% of the data from Parler. 
you know, being being yeah, all- uh, hateful doesn't make you smart. Doesn't it makes you reckless in some ways? And the fact that that there's um, one of the things I've noticed about that particular odd mindset of people that spew a lot of hate or talk about, you know, um, their one of their prime uh, sins is there's no talking about the group outside the group. There's no doxing, revealing people's identities. And that's because they know that, hey, the gun gives them power, but they're still so powerless in this modern interconnected world to really hide. They want to think that they can do it, that they can go to parlor and parlor will take care of them. But that just wasn't the case. You know what I mean? Whatever opportunistic thing it was done to throw it up in the first place, whatever smart people are able to say, hey, did you see how this passwording works? And if I do it in the cloud and it just was amazing that it wasn't a data breach. I just wrote about this. It was a total vacuuming of everything that's ever occurred on there. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. And so I'm hoping there's there's now apocryphal stories, unfortunately, of they were immediately put on the no-fly list and there was a whole bunch of like where hackers are not magic, but that ability to say, well, what would have been too hard for someone to do that they might have left it open? That's where I'll check first. What's the easily overlooked or what's the... um it's all these interfaces that you have to really be careful about when you're using any kind of API. You got to know exactly what you're putting in, what you're getting out. Right. And if you overflow the field, without, I mean, I could geek it up so much. There's all kinds of things. If you know how those tools work, if you know how a database works and what happens when you get more data in a field than you should, that people can take advantage of that. It's kind of cool that the white hats are actually saying, you know, those things that have worked against us when someone was able to, you know, take the security information. Funny. A lot of those things can be used for good. And I'm I'm enjoying that. I'm enjoying that. You you can't have a big enough gun to stop people from saying we have you on video. You actually took your own video and posted it. You know, we have your social security. (laughs) How did you find me? License. Exactly. So that knock on the door that they horribly make references to about, you know, Kristallnacht and stuff like that, that they are not free from that. They're actually going to be really easily rounded up if we put our minds to it. And so I'm, I'm hoping that, that we're, there will be enough deterrence from this kind of thing happening, a terrible breach of, um, etiquette and safety and decency and democracy that it might not be that they, only replied in ways that they would have wanted to be replied. Hey, shoot at us. We'll be martyrs. Hey, we have enough guns. We'll be happy to get in a gunfight. No, they're going to find out that all of what they've tried to do to get all their stand your ground laws and all those uh, stockpiles of armaments that they've got, all the Amazons are going to find out that they didn't buy themselves any safety. They're a hundred years behind. They don't know how the real world works. <laughs> well, all they, all they had to do was watch Star Wars. You know, Luke asked Yoda, is the dark side uh, stronger? He's like, no, it's just quicker. It's not stronger. There you go. Come on. We've known this in the geek world for 40 some years. At least. And, and, and it's nice. We're not, we're, of course, we're not only doing it to them, it's being done to us. You know, there's all kinds of pods of East European, shall we call it, you know, Russian and other places, hackers that are regularly trying to get into our systems and they're doing it for, can they affect our infrastructure, whatever our various different, you know, our, our water and our power and all the kind of stuff, our telecom. And there's really some sad tales of they haven't been able to do that. So we have right. to be very careful. But 
whatever that ever escalating battle is between the black hats and the white hats, there really are some people that are patriotic enough that instead of saying, how can I cash in on this ability? They're like, well, how can I use this ability for good? And I'll still make money. And in fact, maybe I have to adopt a lifestyle that says I need to kind of remain myself off the, you know, out, out of sight because that you don't want to do a really good thing really visibly because you attract the attention of bad people who are trying to shut down your ability, trying to harm right. you because of it. So I, I'm not you know, NSA. I'm not anywhere near that real world of spooks and attack counterattack, but I, I read about it in books and it sure seems that, you know what I mean? There's, there's all kinds of things where the, 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 um, Snowdens of the world. There's all kinds of people that have become lightning rods for WikiLeaks and stuff like that. And maybe sometimes what happens there is they make a person a lightning rod and they let them have all that attention. Whereas in reality, a whole bunch of stuff is happening in the background that right. there are still good things happening. The Panama Papers will come out. The you know what I mean? Uh, the, the, More so now than ever. You know, because the so. videos and and the, you know though. Just for playing devil's advocate for just a moment, uh, let's say all these hackers really did take over everything. Let's say the riot was bigger and they took over the capital and stuff and changed things and took control and did it. Well, 20 years from now, they would be the good guys because that's how they wrote it in the history. And it was everybody else that was stopping them and they made the world a better place. So, I mean, you know, that definitely is a huge philosophical discussion. Right. But, you know, just go back. Let you know if Hitler had taken over, had controlled everything, we would be reading a very different history that he's not the evil dictator he was and crazy that he was a genius and he saved the world. So, well, but luckily, it's not only that, by that meaning, it's all the victors often write the histories. They don't write the only history. You know what I mean? We know all kinds of things about people that have tried to sanitize themselves after doing terrible things. <laughs> and, and I think that when you're doing terrible things, you kind of can't write enough new history to make up for the fact that there are bodies buried. There are lists of all the crimes you've committed. And no matter how much you try to change public opinion of, nah, taking folks out of their homes and putting them in camps, that's not a crime because you know, it's, it's right. ridiculous. Any reasonable, decent thinking person would not buy into all that. They'd become the rebels. And eventually the rebels would overthrow that next regime because I think that, you know, that I love quotes along the lines of, you know, the arc of history tends towards justice, tends towards civilization. I think that there's enough human spirit that even while there are these momentary blips of totalitarian regimes and so forth, I don't think that's a natural human state. I think a natural human state is decency and equal treatment and justice and that things that perturb it, they only do it by force, use of force, use of intimidation. Yeah. Small minority, just yeah. louder. Yeah. And that, you know, Every, every single evil guy should have somebody whispering in his, his ear, time goes on. Fame is fleeting. They will eventually die. There are so many of these places that are not a whole system. It's one or two crazies that have that yeah. really terrible charismatic power to get other people to do their bidding, and yet they're going to die eventually. And it's very uncommon for the second and the third and the fourth dictator to have that same iron hold they sometimes try, but eventually things, you know, it takes 30 years to throw out, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, 
um, various different regimes in Asia or in Africa or in South America or here if it ever happens. It takes generational change. Medieval Europe, how many kings and fiefdoms and kingdoms were there and they're no longer around? <laughs> you know, they controlled everything. Yeah. And in modern, I mean, the thing about the history, and this is a scary thing for me, is that just about every textbook creator uh, with only a couple out there like Macmillan and Houghton Mifflin and all those, mm -hmm. but the ones that write the textbooks, they pass it through the Texas board of education for approval because Texas buys like almost half the textbooks. So, so Texas literally has said, well, we're not going to buy this unless you change this because that's what we believe. So there have been, you know, it's known, but it's also like, what are we going to do type thing? Yeah. So that's well, scary. I, uh, <laughs> a whole big, you know, before Facebook, I actually, there was some social media out there and I had actually started a site called the smart life that was, um, using Ning and it was, uh, where you could create your own social network. You could have many of the features of, you know, people and posting and, and including a video and whatever else it might be. And if I remember correctly, that was one of the very first things that I posted out about was because this isn't new. This is a dozen years ago. They, they were first becoming aware of the inordinate power because of the number of textbooks that they buy that that particular group had. And that the reason it was noticeable was because they weren't just rubber stamping things. They were indeed trying to rewrite history. We don't like Thomas Jefferson anymore. So let's take him out. Wait, wait, what? The right. president, the guy who helped to write that, you know, these, these famous documents, when you saw the kinds of things they were doing, they were so egregiously wrong and bad. Like it, it had to be, that someone stood up to them and said, well, California buys a lot of textbooks. Let's look at their standards as well. Let's not just let this one control pseudo monopoly power when it's being obviously abused. Let's not only buy into that. And I guess hopefully I really don't know what the current state of that is. Did the textbook manufacturers, manufacturers, printers give in to ridiculous standards or did they make two different versions? That's kind of what I hope is that Texas got the Baudelaire version, sanitized Texas idiot version, and that the rest of the world got whatever the consensus is as to what's true, what's significant, what does it matter to tell future generations instead of trying to put together a, a propaganda pamphlet. Yeah, you know and that's I mean? a good question because I, I haven't followed up with it. It was just uh, something I've run across uh, in the publishing world. Uh, so maybe it's worth looking into to see if things have changed, especially with the ebook market, yeah. uh, you know, and how that is. But when they when they're charging like in college you you remember oh that book's three hundred dollars exactly you know <laughs> like geez oh man i do remember that you know that, that whatever i i paid for half my college my mom and dad you know split the cost with me and so that pretty much it came down to you know they took care of maybe tuition and room and board i went to a state school so that was all reasonable but i had to work the entire summer just to get the money that i was going to use for textbooks and then whatever right. left over i got to go to a movie you know Right, I mean? and I had to work. I had all kinds of jobs during college. I washed test tubes at the materials research lab. I slung pizza at Garcia's. I had all kinds of things to continually get that little bit of extra money because even back then, colleges it it was very expensive. You if you were from a standard middle class background, right. you know what I mean. And I had. I got uh, like a year scholarship, you know, when I, but I didn't get a four year ride. I got a thousand dollars from Burroughs Corporation because I was a national merit scholar. And I always wondered, you know, wow, I, I wish that I would have been like, didn't they, 
they, after I was through college and I'm, this is going to cross as maybe a little bit of like privileged bitching, but it really is reality. Like I saw people from our school, if they're good at athletics, if they're good at music, if they're good at various other things, they really were getting free rides. And I was like, wow, I'm like valedictorian. And I got all these awards. I got, I was a mathlete. I got really got like national recognition type stuff. And that turned into a thousand dollars. And, and so I knew this is still going to be up to me, you know, between my, right. my parents saving money for us. And, and I had two brothers. And so they were working on putting all of us through college and it wasn't going to be easy. And so, um, we didn't get any of the daughters of the American revolution, you know, not, not, not scholarship fellowships. You know, I wasn't, a uh, whatever the scholars are that play golf. You know what I mean? I just right. didn't seem to have, I was too vanilla generic American to get it on any of the cool set aside. There wasn't a Lithuanian American thing for me, a German American. So I guess having said all that, it isn't meant to be complaining. It really is. And this, you know, again, wow, you know, back in my day, but it's still, you really value something when it's not handed to you. I knew people that really had college as kind of a four-year party. They didn't have to work hard to pay. You know, I really valued my education because every time that I put in another shift at 3.15 an hour, I was sure I was going to get my education money's worth because I did all this crap to get Don't through. Don't want to keep doing I was it. sack lunch man. You know, I'm getting up at 5.30 in the morning to be there from 6 to 7.30 while everybody else is making their sack lunches because they're not going to be able to make it back to the dorms, et cetera, et cetera. I did whatever was necessary because I knew that I had to get that degree and kind of like give myself a leg up on life. College was going to help me. Let's do this. You know, that. <laughs> and, and not to put down any of that. I think that's super important. But – I think in today's world, lots of people are questioning the value of college as much that we agree. there are way too many kids getting out of college. Oh, I was there for four years. We owe $87,000. I've been working and can't pay for any of it yet. Right. And what do I get a job doing? I'm working at tar- Target. Hi, how you doing? Welcome to Target. You know, and, and it's not just one or two, it's a lot. And that we we've talked about us doing some of our talks and speeches and going out and giving these the one i've been working on is a, directly addressing that how it's the kids coming up are looking at it going okay wait a second you want me to give you like a hundred thousand dollars so you can give me a certificate that says i'm good at such and such but there's no jobs in that and i may have to work at the zoo uh, you know, I hear you. you know, and, you, you and, have to do the cost benefit analysis. And yeah. for many people starting off with that hundred thousand dollar millstone on their neck, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. No. I agree. And what these kids are discovering is I don't even have to go work for somebody else. I have everything I need in my phone. You know, they can't go work at McDonald's because McDonald's has a kiosk and a burger making machine. There's one guy sitting there doing the crossword puzzle, making sure the machine keeps working. And, and it sounds funny to us. But it's a reality. You know, yeah. we thought five years ago, hey, uh, we're going to push for McDonald's to pay their employees $15 an hour. And then McDonald's responded with, okay, we'll pay you $15 an hour. But instead of 10 of you, I only need two. Right. Because now we got so much automation pushing yes. in, whatever efficiencies exactly. So, you know, that they can't even work at the burger joints or the pizza places because now with COVID, everybody's used to ordering online and driving through the drive through or swinging by. You know, they're, they're not even delivering uh, as 
much. I, that's a guess on my part. But I definitely have seen more people going through drive throughs than I've ever seen for pizza or ooh, 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 loud, ooh, loud noise. You're, you're, you're like crackling something. It, you got a short or something loose? I haven't touched. I'm re- I really yeah. am like keeping my hands clear of the mic and from all the cables and stuff like that. I don't think it was me. buzzing and crackling? It's no, it it was just it, it. I mean, it sounded like something was loose or short there for a moment. It's it's better now. Okay. Um. Yeah. But so I mean, we're we're kind of used to this. So again, the pizza job to help pay for school may not exist because people don't use that delivery as much. I hear you. I'm guessing it's a very odd time right now, and there probably has been quotes an odd time for twenty years. You know what I mean? As we've had more automation or more, I, I don't know. This is such a huge discussion. You know, whatever it is about getting people educated and or helping them get self-educated, how do you make it so that there's still enough money coming in that they can live doing it or sponsorship from their parents or from various different organizations? I think that some of the value of um, an education is not only what you're learning, but like learning how to learn. You learn time management. You learn how to how to be able to triage between I got multiple things due and I, what am I going to do to get my grade point average the highest that I can, study the things that are most going to matter. I have some prerequisites that are just maybe not going to be as much important in the real world. But you also, well, I'm distracted because I really love this classical civilization stuff. I love reading mythology and whatever else. So I think that that's part of what, if you're only on your own, you don't necessarily get those things. And then you're blindsided by them when you have to apply them into the real world of, I got too much to do and how am I going to choose? How am I going to justify that to somebody else when they say, why didn't you get my project done? Because, you know what I mean? there's, There's some value about going away to live on your own. You know, for yeah. people that have been arrested development, living in the womb of home to finally go and say, wow, I, I need to do my own laundry. I need to like watch my own bank account. <laughs> There's absolutely some transition period stuff in there where you're still kind of sheltered, but you're learning important lessons about right. setting an alarm clock. And, stuff and, like and I, I totally agree. That's one of the reasons I wish all my kids had gone to school and lived at school and gotten that because I got a lot out of that. But on the flip side, how many kids did you know that dropped out of school the first year, the second year, and they couldn't handle it? They couldn't, couldn't do take it. take those lessons in. I agree. Yeah. I, I so, really I do. Or, you know, if, and I don't know. We had – I was in computer science, and that's a tough major. So we had a number, any number of people that didn't keep their grades, but they were going to stay in their major. They went to like I, – I was went to school at University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana. They went to the local community college and – uh, did the some of the courses that would still apply towards college grade, got their grades back up, and then re-entered the college curriculum. And I don't know, it was weird to have people disappear for a couple semesters and come back, but not weird. It was very heartening to say, well, you took it on. Instead of just right. going back home and saying, I guess I'll be a blank, they were like, no, I really want this. I I screwed up. I didn't discipline myself. I, I found out that what am I going to do if I'm left unattended? I'm going to go to the gym and play racquetball all the time. I'm going to go drinking on Wednesday nights, et cetera, et cetera. And Thursday you know? and Friday and, <laughs> and Saturday. And their boy, yeah. howdy. It was amazing yeah. how many reasons there were to go drinking at U of I. Wednesday right. is little king's night. Thursday, you know what I mean? You could. Right, yeah. Ladies night. <laughs> Ladies well, night, exactly. Here, here, here's my my viewpoint on this. And I, I mean, I saw it. Uh, you know, when I was in school too, our kids would drop out or they come back not very often. Um, but if kids can't afford to go to school, 
if they're able to do work on their phone, but they can't do just one job, they have to do four or five, those same skills they're going to, to get, or they're going to be, you know, struggling. Uh, so it, it, it's either it clicks in their brain that I've got to buckle down and I've got these three jobs, but I can add one more to make that extra hundred dollars this week, you know, and, and, and then how do I still get my laundry done and uh, yeah, take the dogs yeah. out and, you know, whatever else. It, so I think, but again, I don't think it's so much the environment. I think it's the individual because regardless of environment, there's going to be people that I, that's too much for me. I can't do it. I'll, I'll just work at the local store and it doesn't matter if it's college or working off your phone I hear or you. whatever. Yeah. So, um, so maybe that's I, what it is. It's the big sieve that helps people understand what, what <laughs> can I do? You know, and if I'm not the yeah. guy that can bear down, if I'm not the guy that can juggle between, if I'm not the gal that is going to be, I care about this. My why is big enough that I'm going to overcome adversity. Then you realize that about yourself and it's not giving up, but it's just definitely realigning yourself to say, I'm most comfortable working with people. And so I guess I'm not going to get a degree in a deeply technical field because I don't like being by myself right. working on code, you know, that kind and, of thing. And, so. and honestly, the way the world's going, for example, uh, the, this one talk I heard that I've based a lot of my research on is that, and COVID, I think pushed this even faster, is that they're predicting in the future, we're going to need more nurses, but less doctors, and that we're going to have the teledocs to do most of it. And so an office right now that has five doctors is going to have all these teledocs and one doctor, but they're going to need all the nurses to do all the hands-on stuff. And even that, they're taking some of that away. And okay. so the hands-on you know, yeah, that, the that hands on what's in a dentist office, there's one yes. or two dentists and there's 10, you know, hygienists and so forth. Yeah, that exactly. All of the, I don't know, that doesn't require a degree type stuff. Yes. Exactly. Yep. Yes. And that's what they're doing a lot of. And so people that are doing hands on things, for example, again, uh, my other podcast, I just talked to an author who wrote a book called Man Stuff and he's a car dealership owner. And he wrote this book for boys to teach them how to be a man, lessons on how to be a man, how to shake hands, how to tie a tie, uh, when to hold open a door, uh, how to set a table, how to cook a gourmet meal. Just there's all a, there's these. There's a new book like that that comes to lock like every half generation, every 15 minutes. There's yeah, a big yeah. damn book of sheer manliness. And that's exactly. Kind of I hear you. Okay. Uh, um, so uh, it's these things, hands on things that he was. Uh, working on teaching the boys. And those are the things that are going to get people jobs. He told a story that the one kid's father had an auto repair place and the one of the, and the boys wanted to learn auto repair, how to change oil. It's man stuff. Right. Okay. So they went and this guy is just talking and some of the other parents, fathers were like, what? They were astounded because he's like, well, yeah, you know, I work with my hands. I get dirty. I fix these cars, but I'm proud of it because these people need their cars and I do good work and they come back to me. And he said, yeah, I make over a hundred thousand a year. And all these other dads are like, you make over a hundred thousand working on cars. You know, I went to school. I have a degree. I work in a big high rise building and you make more money than I do. And you have no degree and it's in a dusty little garage. So again, I laughed because I said, that's kind of the, what the world is going to things that can be automated, the high tech, high end jobs that people used to do are going away and we need more of the hands on people jobs. And that's what's going to get people money in the future. I think you're, I mean, boy, there's a hundred examples of that. You know what I mean? They're finding out that, that it isn't the 
I think that no matter what field you're in, expertise helps. You know what I mean? The cream rises to the top. And so there's all kinds of people that went into finance because, hey, that's where the money is. But you know, if you suck at your job, you're not going to be one of those elite. You're going to be one of the schmoes that is making their, you know, 50K a year instead of 100 or whatever the the level is of, um, there are different professions that have different median levels, but it doesn't mean that you're going to stand out. And so you still have to have those standards of excellence, those human qualities, the hands-on that make it that you're easy and fun to work with, not just, well, he's a necessary evil and we have to have that cog in the machine. No, when people come back, they look forward to working with you again. They trust you with their car. All those are good things. They trust you with their database. They trust you with your, their cake decoration. It, it applies in all different kinds of ways, you know, one of the things I've always tried to do is when, when I, I was a consultant for a long time and didn't necessarily like ask directly for letters of recommendation, but every job that I took on, I tried to say, well, this is going to be a new line for my resume. And if I do really well, then it'll be easy to have them as a reference. Like I said, not necessarily on paper, but I have all kinds of people that I was happy to say, if you want to know how what good work I do, just talk to my last one and two and three jobs. And the fact that you can say that, that there's no blots right. on your record, that's itself encouraging when you're looking for new work, that you don't have anything to hide. You've got nothing but pride in what you've been able to do. And right. I hope that that's exactly, you know, the people who are not shysters, the people that are one of the joys of Angie's list, which we use often is finding out which contractors are good and good for their word. And when they say yes, they'll do yes, not no, and they won't try to fleece you because as a field, there's all kinds of horror stories about, well, the job got half done and then they ghosted, they disappeared. Yeah. And I, you know, and then I had to, so I love the fact that there are the consumer reports, if you will, not only for products, but for people, because that really matters. Yes. And <laughs> reputation-based stuff is important. I don't think I have that many people that would gainsay Almost anything that I've worked on, I've not always done excellent, fantastic work, but I have tried and I, I have more than less. You know what I mean? I, I yeah. anyway, I, it's, it's, um, well that, that, I mean that, that thinking mindset and attitude, I, I've tried to instill that in all the kids and me and Gina, all the kids we've tried to, it's like, I don't care if you are working minimum wage. I don't care if you're working what you think is the crappiest job go do a good job, do it well, do it uh, as well as you can and relax and smile and enjoy it. I, because that attitude will just carry over to every job if you don't do that. And pretty soon you'll, you know, your manager, you're like, yeah, I, I need somebody to work extra, but that person's grumpy all the time. I don't want to work with them. And so these other people who do as good a job as they can, they move up, they get, so instead of leaving this, yeah, I stock shelves, you're like, well, I stock shelves, but then I became a, a, a session manager and then I became a lead. So I was only there for a year and a half, but I moved up to lead and now I'm looking for a new job. Well, that sounds like a, you know, absolutely. It comes you know, back to you. I'll, I'll tell you, you know, uh, uh, Colleen, you know, my, my, my wife is in retirement plans. She does, um, uh, She's a relationship manager for big clients that do their retirement plans, both 401ks and 403bs, pretty much for profit and not for profit and all kinds of other things. Um, and one of the things like she deals, therefore, with um, all kinds of people that are also, if you will, in that service industry, having a 401k plan is not necessarily part of the expertise, the necessity for a company. If you're making widgets, you're you want to be a great at making widgets. And one of the 
um, necessities is you have to offer your people good benefits, reasonable, you know, 401k and maybe matching and all that kind of stuff. And so it's by definition a service industry. And whenever she bumps into people that aren't that, she's like, why are you here? It doesn't it hurt you every minute of every day to be the one that isn't happily picking up the phone going, what can I do for you? That instead you're the information gatekeeper or you're the, the, the mad dog barking at everybody. Like, can't you align yourself with what would be a better yeah. position for you and let somebody in who does have a service mentality make 500, 1,000, 10,000 people happy? You know, she's got some big clients that have 30,000 employees. And like, if you have someone at the top that's not making it easy for 30,000 people, what a crime that is. Yeah. You know what I mean? That multiplier effect, it just, it shouldn't be that those people are sometimes where they are. Maybe they started off good and now they've gotten like, you know, estranged or something like that right. but sometimes I, I, their personality is just not suited for what they're working right. on you yeah know? and it's you know i see a lot and you know being an old grumpy guy uh you want to say it's the the younger generation but uh, you know they seem very entitled oh this job sucks i hate this job the the kids uh two of our kids work at meyer overnight stocking shelves and stuff yeah. and they say yeah there's this one guy he just hates it everything he does he picks it up just throws it or if he drops something he kicks it out of the way cuz he just doesn't want to be there doesn't like it well then don't take the job and you know it's not just this younger generation there's plenty of people 50 years old that do the same thing I you know you. You know, I don't really like we we are from having been around. We've seen, you know, generational shifts and stuff like that. And to go back a little bit, what we were talking about at the start, I don't know how kids are doing it nowadays to kind of keep it together optimism wise. They've seen any number of safety nets be removed. They've seen yeah. it rampant greed and opportunism amongst some of the highest, the people you want to think of as your your value leaders, the people that are trying to show you how it is to be a, a decent citizen. Instead, boy, we've got vast in, uh, income inequality and not just by happenstance by a very <laughs> concerted effort to have the rich get richer and richer and richer and leave yeah. everybody else behind and so i could see how they're like how am i gonna break through how right. am i gonna make enough to be safe and comfortable and and where's my opportunity and so all along the lines of what job what college whatever else it might be it's i can see so this is a tenuous connection there's some part of like, well, don't buy into that current system. If you know that it's going to be nothing but I slaved away for 45 years and then dropped in exhaustion, then instead find a way to be outside of that. Do some disruptive activity, some disruptive tech that's going to say, I didn't buy into um, work for one company and get a gold watch. That's kind of a long gone thing now. Yes. I was able to do work in the gig economy that kept um, uh, me satisfied and interested. I was able to work until I found a niche that I found I was exceptionally um, motivated in and good at. And then I concentrated on that. And, you know, like in this era of everybody is interconnected, you have many ways that don't involve sending a resume into a company and hope you don't yep. get put into the round file. There's so many ways that things get trafficked nowadays of continually kind of improving your life that I'm I'm hoping that in ways that I don't fully understand or or can't anticipate that there's still wonderful things happening in that regard. We often talk, you know, I'm into investments. And so when I'm looking for things, I'm not buying into the old stodgy companies that are mostly nowadays making it because they've amassed terrible monopoly power. They've amassed, they're, they're lazy. They're not hungry anymore. You want to get, not get the big insurance company, but someplace like Lemonade that is doing 
insurance for young people, just the right amount in the right ways so that they don't have to be, I walked in and I just said, how much are you going to fleece me for so I can get minimal protection? That right. there's, there's people that are really trying to create better ways of doing real estate and insurance and like big fields that are being very much disrupted. I, as a, as a older guy, I don't know that I'm the young guy that's going to write that tech anymore, but as, I, as I've kind of talked about, a lot of how I invest isn't only to make money. It's that I see the future that I want to create and I say, I'll help you. I'll invest a little bit, whatever I can do to sponsor you, if you will. And so I'm into all kinds of places that are a better way of communicating, a better way of insuring, a better way of getting solar power instead of oil. It's, it's nice to see that the better world can be created and that some places are going to kind of crash on the rocks, but that's because they haven't made a point of changing with the times of understanding that this is the way the world is changing. They're going to fight it instead of embracing it. I understand the motivations, you know, that's the whole system development learning curve. And yet you got to have creative destruction in capitalism. You have to have new things happen and old things fade away that are the buggy whips of the past. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> how how many times have you dialed zero to tell the operator to connect you lately? Like that, you know what I mean. And and sometimes I'm I know I've read I'm a I've read all kinds of futurism books, if you will, how technology progresses. And it, it isn't, as you know, a nice smooth curve. It's kind of like ratchety and stair steppy, and that all of a sudden something will happen where hey, um, a character on a TV show does things in a new way. Everybody watching that show says, yeah, why in the world would I ever die zero again? And so like, you know, sales of dialing zero calls plummet <laughs> because yeah. now everybody has, and it's not, that's a, a crappy um, example because really why that happened was you started to have phones that you didn't have to memorize a single number. You didn't have to look right. up anybody's number. Yeah. It, 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 the transport nowadays is you can find easily from the person that called you, you automatically have a way of calling them back and all that kind of stuff. Way long ago, I did some work with General Magic, people that had been with Apple that were making new devices. And one of their big breakthroughs was how to create that network of you don't need to worry about email addresses and numbers and so forth. It always had that metadata running back and forth so that you know the first place where you'd want to just be able to say to your phone, call Bill in accounting, and it knew who Bill in accounting was, and it just humanized the whole experience. We're so much in that place now. Yeah. You know, I, I, Colleen and I laugh about, we still have old phone numbers and addresses in our head from when we were kids because yes. that's what you had to do back But not then. the new stuff. Not the new stuff. People <laughs> couldn't care less what the street address is someplace if all you do is put it into your GPS and then the magic takes you right to it. Yeah. So I like that some, a lot of that uh, inefficiency has been forever banished. You know what I mean? Colleen and I still like using maps while we're traveling because it's fun to be able to scan on the map while we're crossing Montana. Oh, I didn't know that, you know, XYZ Canyon was just 30 miles off the road. It sounds kind of cool. Let's go see it. If you only have the postage stamp, you're not necessarily going to know about that because it's guiding you right to where you want to go. So there are still reasons to have some of the old ways, but man, the the day-to-day hassle of the old ways, I am very glad that it has evaporated. Right. And, and <laughs> so everything you were just saying about that is exactly that, you know, you'll always have every generation, you'll have the, the kids, the people that don't want to go out and push themselves. They don't have the mindset to what could I change? What could be different? You know, they even may think, Oh, that's too big, but you'll always have those that say, you know what? I can do this and I'm going to do this, you know? And another thing we talked about, um, that lady 
who, when she was 16, flew to Europe to be with the Beatles and Scotland Yard was trying to track her down. And when she came back to Cleveland, she got rock and roll banned, which I, I'm still trying to get a hold of her. I want to get her so we can talk to her. But exactly. one of the things she said was, you know what, for the rest of my life, because she's like in her 70s now, that nothing scared her. She wasn't afraid to just quit a job to go somewhere else or move or whatever, because I, I flew to Europe and followed the Beatles when I was 16 and no money. I got rock and roll banned in a whole city. You yeah, know, it, yeah. if that doesn't build some confidence in you, then, you know, nothing will. And I, I, and we've talked about before. That's one of the things I see is we, we take that away from our kids. We don't tell them to climb the tree because we don't want them to get hurt. Well, that transfers to them. They're afraid to get hurt. So they don't climb a tree. You know, my kids were like, well, I don't know. I'm like, I'll oh, just climb it. You'll be fine. The branches won't break or anything. Of course, I don't mention you, you could fall, you know, but so they, they had enough confidence to do it. And now they'll go climb a tree and they're not afraid to, you know, I hear uh, you. Colin's yeah, a, great, a great example. Okay. Like, oh, oh, sorry. Please go on. No, please. Oh, I just, he's a great example. He was going to go to college. Now he's not. Uh, he's been writing stories and sending them out to try and get into the comic book market. He uh, is working with the local store owner. They're going to hopefully open a game store. And he's just like, yeah, we're going to open a game store and I'm going to run it. You know, how many 19-year-olds go, yeah, I'm just going to open a game store and run it? <laughs> Honestly, that's fantastic. You know, that, that, that wonderful boldness. I mean, that is, you know, their fortune favors the bold yes. so much of what, boy, I, I just have like a thousand quotes I want to throw in here. You know, there's, <laughs> that's, I know that there's a great quote that says the size of your world is the size of your courage. You yeah, know, when I was one. 10 years out of college and working and I started to hear from my friends in Chicago, you know, we live in Glen Ellen and we kind of don't go into the city anymore because it's scary. And like, Chicago has a million things that you should be going in to do. It's got this festival and this concert and this, this the lakefront in Chicago itself. And the first time you hear someone telescope their life down because, oh no, crime, oh no, traffic. It's like, but, but it's trade-offs. It's not a yes, no, it's not a litmus test. And, and I don't know, I, you know, when someone gets scared of driving, when someone gets scared of uh, there's all kinds of things that, you know, their courage is what's going to make it so that, yes, I can go to Europe and not have a plan at all, but I know that I have the ability to find a place to sleep. I have a credit card. I have, I think on my feet, I'm not going to be the, the most ripped off fleeced person. I'm not going to be the most endangered person. I can tell when a neighborhood's getting seedy, like the, the way you get those muscles is because you exercise you them. You do it. You know what I mean, you yeah. do it. So Colleen and I, any number of times, you know, I don't know. That's a lot of why we love traveling is because it's a combination of, I know we got a place to stay tonight, but until then, here's my spreadsheet of all the things we might do. And if we happen to see a cool mini golf castle, I'm pulling <laughs> off. You know what I mean? Sometimes. <laughs> I, I, dry, I I blow Gina's mind because I'll put on the calendar, like pencil things in yeah. and I get them from Facebook. I get them from the library. I get them from the local community events or whatever. And she'll look at the calendar and go, what are these 20 things for Saturday? What are we doing? I'm like, oh, I don't know. What do you want to do? He's like, she's like, well, I don't know. You planned all this stuff. Like, no, no, no. I just put it on there. If we feel like doing it, we can, but it's not a big deal. And she's like, but there's like 20 things on here. We can't do all this. Right. Pick the one you want. You know I mean? I do the same thing that cracks me up. Exactly. Well, what's fun is that a lot of times 
we will have, I'll, I'll have the same thing. I'll have multiple possibilities and we'll say, well, let's pick the one. But sometimes it's like, boy, there's like three things we really want to do. If we just do a little bit of coordination, we can do 10 to 12 and one to four and right. six to 20, you know, 10, and we can get it all done. And it might be that we'll kind of drop exhaust at the end of the day, but we will have, you know, seen the mammoth and seen the balloons go up and we will have eaten at this great place. It's worth doing a little bit of not just take the easy route. You know what Absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, so, you're not going to lie on your deathbed and go, man, I really shouldn't have went to see those things. Yeah, yeah. And, and so there's a certain amount also of, I, I don't know, there's so many, maybe, again, you know, kind of pablum type quotes of, you know, you jump off the cliff and you grow wings on the way down. That's and, my favorite. You know, I just, there's something to be said for you have to exercise your self-confidence. You have to exercise your ability to say, I can think on my feet. There's any number of people that have succeeded when they didn't know what they were doing until they were in the middle of it. And even if I fail, look how much I've learned in failing that, that there aren't, this isn't a permanent thing. I'm not going to jail because I failed. I might have like, well, I'm, I'm down money that week and I might have to eat ramen instead of, you know what I mean? It's, there's a, a reason to exercise your, um, sense of proportion, you know, boy, I've had so many discussions with people about risk management over the years and their risk management thing always seems to be, look how awful it could get. We have to prevent that at all costs. And it's like, it's not at all costs. You look at what it would take to recover from that. You look at how much you're willing to pay to prevent it, but it's all probabilities and money and numbers. It's not just talk about how bad it might be and then do whatever is necessary to never let that happen. Very Again, you know, playing with investing, it isn't about, am I a smarty? Do I have futuristic prediction abilities? So much of it is just risk versus reward. And you have to be able to take on a certain amount of risk of uncertainty, not knowing what the future will hold to get reasonable reward. And it's not just investing. It's in everything in life. When you're like looking for a loved one, you know what I mean? I'm going to go to this place and is it a happy hunting ground for me? I'm going to meet someone and they seem to be good, but you have to put yourself out there in in vulnerability and in honesty and in service to say, I might get bashed in the face because I misread, are they a quality person? Do they Will they like me equally? All that kind of stuff. But the reward is high. And so, right. again, risk management is not only about that. It's what's the potential for this? And, and I, I don't think that that's just happy talk. So much in my life, I can remember times where it's like, I know I'm going in seeking this really good thing or trying to and trying to shave off the worst of the risks. That's the point of having insurance. That's the point of, you know, getting yourself physically fit. So you're not going to be the one that collapses on the trail. You know what I mean? If you're going to climb, um, what's the place in Yosemite with the chains? Um, um, uh, not old faithful, of course, it doesn't matter. You know, you, you have to do a little bit of preparation to say, am I pie in the sky about this or am I capable? Have I given myself a good shot at doing this? You know, when you're going to be a championship boxer, it isn't about that, you know, 10, three minute rounds. It's the six months of training you put in to say, I'm not going to be the guy that flags. I'm going to be as fresh in the 10th round as I am in the first because I ran 500 miles on the streets of Philadelphia or whatever else it might be. You know? Actually, that right there fits in with everything we've just been saying for the last half hour. Uh, you know, you don't know if you're going to win that boxing match or not. You, you might lose. So to win, you've got to prepare. 
And if you prepare, if you know you've worked your hardest, you've done everything you can, your confidence going into that boxing match is much higher. You know you're going to win because you have prepared. You know, it goes right back to everything else we've been saying with the kids and everything else. It's El Capitan, by the way. That's the El place Capitan, the, okay. There you know, have we talked about this before? I just love that. By that meaning, I, I know I know it, and then it won't come to me right away. So we start talking about other things. But and somebody boom. in my mind is going through the files, and yes. they're like, and they pull it out, and they say, hey. And then, in and luckily, you know, there's that conversation on the staircase, you know, that, that ghost on the staircase of after the party's over, you remember, oh, I should have said this. It would have been so funny. Instead of having it be like a two-hour thing for me, it seems to be like a 20-second refresh for me. Nice. Oftentimes, it'll pop out in real time. It's like, well, that is just so freaking handy. I can't tell you. It might not win on Jeopardy because you've lost that 15-second opportunity. Right, right. But in the real world, it's very cool to be able to say, oh, yeah, by the way, that was uh, Tom Hanks in that one movie. And right. that, and that, who knows? That's some part of me, but an unconscious part of me that's like, I'll work on that. You take, you keep going with your conversation. I'll get back to you. I love that my brain can do that, that it multitasks and like boinks it up for me. <laughs> mine, mine tends to be like analysis of things, but it takes a little longer instead of the trivia or the dates or you know, facts or remembering something specific, it'll yeah. be some analysis. And literally uh, there have been many times where, up to a week later, uh, you know, so I'll be talking with Jean, like, oh, by the way, and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, wait, what are we talking about? I'm like, do you remember when we talked about this and we did this? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, so this and that. She's like, have you been thinking about this the whole time? I'm like, well, not consciously thinking about it. Yeah, it's just my mind is working on it. Exactly. Yeah, and it came back. Puzzle in the background, and then here it is, all done. You know right. what I mean? <laughs> and it's actually been helping me with my writing because I, I there'll be a part of the book that. It just doesn't feel right. And I'll just let it go. And then a couple of days later, I'll come, Oh, this is what I need to do. And I fix this and, and it makes it much better. So I've exactly. discovered sometimes I just got to move on and do something else for a while. Yes. There, and again, there, you know, I like to read the habits of like, um, wonderful, famous, brilliant people and see, could I acquire those myself? So when you read about, that's what Isaac Asimov would do when he got yeah. stuck on a page, he would like not sit there until blood came out of his forehead. He'd go to a movie, he'd go for a walk and he would count on, he knows that his brain does all that cool analysis and multitasking in the background. And he'd come back and like a solution had presented itself. And some people might call it your muse or, you know, where did that come from? But when that happens 20 times in a row, you get right. confidence. I don't care where it comes from. I care that it works. So I, I, I love that too, that I've had things that I was working on uh, writing or coding or whatever else it might be. And then all of a sudden, like the light bulb goes on and it's like, I don't know where that comes from, but thanks again, universe. How cool. Which, you, <laughs> you know, know? <laughs> we, we, we just chatted a little bit about this at times, you know, if there are other dimensions or whatever, are there places where our dimensions closer? Are we really receiving that info from somewhere else? Cause I've told people, they're like, well, how did, how'd you think of that? And I'm like, I really didn't. I'm like, it was like I was looking in, I parted the veil and looked into another world and I'm just writing down what they were doing. You know, it's like, it's already there. Or what was it? Um, uh, one of the famous sculptors, uh, they said, wow, that's a beautiful statue. How'd you ever picture? He's like, it was always there. I just brought it out. 
Exactly. I, you know? I removed every part of it that wasn't the horse. Yes. You know what I mean? That kind yeah. of thing. Exactly. Yeah. So I've, I've made jokes about that. You know, where'd you come up with that? Well, I talked to Al 616, you know, from an, an alternate dimension. Right. You know, and actually, I think 616 is our home dimension. It's our world. I was going to tell exactly. you and say that. <laughs> you know, I knew you'd know that. I knew it. It's the coolest <laughs> thing in the world. It, it, I, I've often, when I talk about comic books, I'll put, I'll put like, you know, hey, I'm talking in Cincinnati. And then I kind of do that expanding outwards viewers like Cincinnati in Ohio, in the USA, on Earth, on Earth 616. Right. You know I mean? <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, well. I, uh, so, um, I think that it's cool. One of the things that I've always liked about Mensa was that they have often multi-generational talks. When I first showed up in my first Mensa meetings, this would have been like, mid seventies. And then I really went away for a while, but then I came back in the early nineties and it was just very cool to be able to talk to someone 50 years, my senior, but they're all, they're wonderfully mentally crisp and they've got life under their belt and they were still playful and whatever else it might be. And so I guess I always thought, well, maybe I'll be one of those guys that's approachable enough that even though I'm 60, they're not going to say, Oh, you know, he's, I don't know, crotchety old man or whatever. But what I've also noticed, unfortunately, is some part of the generations nowadays, they actually do a whole bunch of self-labeling and self-containment. And instead of being, you know, they have their own problems and they're going to solve them on their own. There's less of the multi-generational thing going on at Mensa. And I really miss that. I really miss being able to have a conversation that we have so much humanity shared together. It's not only about what TV shows did you watch growing up and the references that you might get. There's so much, I don't know that I have wisdom, but at least I have experience. I have things that I'd be happy to share. And in a funny way, so that it's not, let me be the Commodore and bash you over the head with this. Because back in my day, this is how it had to be done. I, I, think that sometimes that's one of the wonderful things about online world is instead of it being that there's obvious signs of, I don't want to sit the old guy at the young people table, nor do they want to sit with me, but online, nobody knows you're a dog, if you will, yeah, you right. just say things and, and we've laughed about language. You know what I mean? I don't know that I am. I'm very playful with language. I'm, I'm loving watching the history of swear words, you know, on, oh, on I, I want to watch Netflix, that. That looked really like good. That. But so much of it is you learn to just, be able to speak enough of their language that you don't immediately come across as like stilted and too formal and old and whatever else it might be. Right. And then there's the opportunity for, for, I don't know, communication at least, and maybe for sharing, maybe for really becoming friends. And I, that's part of the reason that I really embrace online stuff nowadays is that I, I think I have lots of friends from multiple generations and I haven't turned them off yet because all I do is talk about that old Chevy that I loved. You know what I mean? I'm pretty young in terms of the computing that I do or the shows that I watch or maybe, and maybe that's a geekery thing is that if you're always interested in new tech, that means that you're kind of current in some, at least something, right. yeah, at yeah, least yeah. something, you know what I mean? So, and, you know, yeah. saying that that's kind of what drove Colin out of the whole cryptozoology field. Cause he was doing a podcast. He was going to talks. Yeah. He um, was writing books. We came, we came to one near Akron that I yeah. thought was excellent at the library. It was really yeah. good. Sure. Yeah. 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 And you know, but there were some people who were like, eh, he's a kid. He doesn't know anything. And, and literally he, did a talk at the Mothman Festival, had a booth set up at the Mothman Festival, yeah. and then they had a panel of the speakers, and they literally told him, no, you can't be on it. Because you're well, Wait too a second. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, so it's kind of like, well, screw all you guys. And there were some people that said, what are you guys doing? You know, we're not going to live forever. This is the next generation. They need encouragement, not discouragement. Then there's the other. Torch off eventually. Don't you want to be encouraging the next generation? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, uh, yeah, I. I, I mean, I've gone and sat down and I talked to Bill uh, before I even knew he was a writer. You know, I was just chatting with him, uh, you know, and he's what, 25 years older than me or so, um, you know, and I I'll also great work. His latest Ian Douglas book is great. So, yeah, <laughs> and I, I also talked to the kids that are teens or 20, uh, especially the 20, you know, once they're out of their teens, sometimes they open up a little more uh, and, and want to talks uh, teens still sometimes look at you like hey eh, you don't know anything <laughs> right you know, or they're suspicious because like you know why is an old guy hanging around us you know please don't be a perv you know that kind right. of stuff you know i'm not yeah. a perv, I promise you know but, but many times i've been in the hospitality room at a table with people 10 20 years older than me and 10 20 years younger than me all having a good conversation exactly i, I really do still love that and, and that i guess Maybe not so much at regional gatherings where there still is a wonderful mixture because there's one hospitality room. But one of the things I've noticed is that, you know, Mets has its annual gatherings. And nowadays they have suites. They have suites for, you know, Hell's Ems, Gen X, Gen Y, uh, um, Firehouse, Gay Sig, et cetera. And after a while, people like hang out there all the time and don't even come to hospitality anymore. So that wonderful mingling and admixture, it just doesn't happen as readily. And, and I don't know, maybe because I'm associated with pretentious drinking, I'm often – welcomed in various different suites because I'm the one that helped them pick out what to drink. Well, well, really, uh, it's part of your branding, you know, you could say. And you know what? I'm welcomed as much as I'm allowed. You know what I mean? There really is something about, they want to have it be that there's no, um, I'm not a dissident element, but I'm an older fellow. And if what they think they want, if a lot of, uh, some part of Mensa, of course, is um, dating. It's a happy hunting ground. And there really were some crappy mentions that were unaware of maybe you shouldn't be asking a 20 year old out when you're 70 you know what right. i mean maybe you shouldn't be hugging for too long but and there's not that many of them like any group i'm sure that happens right. in the elks and the and, and you know what i mean at a football game and stuff like that but having said that i get that this this is the r- most ridiculous thing to ever share <laughs> i uh at one point i guess i was being talked about as to, you know, who's this Al guy always wears orange There's a guy named the orange man in New Jersey or something like that. And like, he's creepy. Is, is this that guy? <laughs> so my, the benediction they gave me was, Oh no, Al, he's not at all creepy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so thank you. Whoever said that <laughs> I try not to be at all creepy. <laughs> That's good. Oh, I'm well. not Al, not creepy. That I needs to be a t-shirt. T-shirt. Not at all creepy. Exactly. <laughs> But that's just what a creep would say, though. Exactly. See? That's what I was going to say. It, you know, that would be something you should have done when you were trying, you know, dating and all that. You know, I'm not creepy. That that would go over well at speed dating, I'm sure. You know, and as as a, a postlude, if you will, one of the things that's funny is, um, so I've been a Mensa for a long time. So have many other Mensons. When you get that early thing, I think Gen X was the first group that really said, we want to get rid of the creepy old guys and kind of, you know, protect our women. And funny, give them about 25 years and they're the creepy old guys now. And so I wonder if they're feeling that same weirdness of, you know, like, are you getting labeled with, with no reality behind yeah, it? But just right. because the group wants to keep its, 
young men and women to themselves, if you will. And, and they're getting, they're the ones that are now getting shunted off to the side. I don't know that. I just know that that generational shift is one of the things that I wish wasn't as strong as it is sometimes because it separates and it, it helps me. I, I miss, I miss those wonderful multi-generational things of, I get to learn from the youth and I get to learn right. from the elder and they get to learn from me and just, oh, well. Well, oh. I, I mean, part of it could be trying to get more younger people involved because that's always a struggle uh, that's to true do too. that. And I can um, see, you know, when a young person show, um, comes to a, uh, a dinner and it's, 80% older people and they're talking about like their health problems and insurance and what they want to talk <laughs> yeah. about is music and you know D&D and stuff like that. Right. I can see how I'm just not going back. Those are not it's not my tribe. I don't exactly. have you know, and I don't fit yeah. in there easily. And as and, well. and I think uh who knows things will change. You know, not nobody's been to a good RG or AG for a year. So when we get back, it might be demand. Exactly. It'll be like all new reboot. You know, I know Colin has spoken at an RG, you know, we need more encouragement of some of these kids to maybe do a talk. And again, goes back to what we were talking about earlier. You know, the ones that would go and do a talk are the same ones that are going to start at 18, finding all the things they could do on their phone so they don't have to go work at the pizza place or whatever. Exactly. That's got to be one of those like defining characteristics. You know what I mean? For so many people, public speaking is up there with death in terms of their yeah. career. And if you're someone that can just say, I know this pretty well, I'm able to think on my feet. Sure, I'll give a talk. Think of how much of an edge that gives you on 80, 90% of the world of the people that just can't even imagine themselves doing it. I've, right. I've been a glib and self-confident ever since probably like high school when I was in debate. You know what I mean? And maybe right. I why, why did I go into debate? Cause I was already good at it. And so it's, it's, that's been one of those skills that has served me really well in the rest of my life is I just don't have any fear of public speaking. Well, and you, know? you, you know, you said earlier, fortune favors the bold. I mean, I got my first big network admin job, uh, kind of by bluffing my way into it at the start. Uh, I literally, uh, I knew enough to know I could do the job, which is important. You can't just bluff without knowing anything. Right. You and have then, to know you can lie. Exactly. Yeah. But I didn't know all the networking stuff as well at that time. I mean, it was windows three, one. So, you know, yeah. um, and I literally was talking to someone on Monday. So Friday to su Sunday night, I read networking for dummies and there you go. learn all and, about Ethernet. Bad, yeah, back when and I just walked in with confidence. And exactly. And, and well. got the job. But again, then it built. Well, heck, I know I can be an admin. I know I can do this and that. So the next thing is not as scary. Goes back once again to everything we were just saying earlier. You know, it, it, it's a certain amount of this has been talking about confidence and so forth. I think there's also a, a reason to have good self-assessment and maybe humility. I yeah. think we've seen people, I know a lot of people are willing to speak in public that don't have anything to say. I've been in improv troops where they are so hungry for the spotlight, so hungry for stage time that they get up there and nine times out of 10, their line isn't good. It doesn't move the scene forward. It doesn't, it's not funny, et cetera, et cetera. And so after a while you have to be, you know, I don't want to be the neurotic person that needs the spotlight so much that everybody kind of winces when you step up and grab the mic because they know nothing good's going to happen. Right. I want to be the one that when I take the mic, they're like, Okay, Al's pretty witty. This will he'll he'll this will be okay. <laughs> it, it goes right back to uh, the Dunning Kruger effect that we've talked about several times. 
when you're bad you know? at things, you don't even know how bad you are at things because that's how bad you are at things. Yes, you know, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's the meme, you know, you know that a relative that's always obnoxious at parties and no one likes to be around. Well, if you don't know who that is, it's probably you. <laughs> you exactly. <laughs> so, all right, man. Hey, looks like we've uh, tied up everybody's time for a while this week. <laughs> I hear you, and, and I think we got to like one tenth of what we said we were going to talk yeah. about. That's yeah. often the case, you know. We yeah. we make connections and kind of go. So right. and happy, I, new year. happy new year. <laughs> I definitely want to hear about some of your culinary adventures because we've been making a push on some things this year too. So I hear um, you. You know, that, that we're about. eating healthier. We're making better breads. That guy, we'll, we'll, we really might focus on that next let, time. Let, so, let's okay. make that number one next week. So we might actually get to it. Exactly. Very good. Okay. Sounds good. Take care, Stephen. All is a pleasure. All right. Later, Al. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on Geek Topics of the Week.